Turn with me in your Bible, please, and really you don't have to turn here because the verse is so very short, but you'd like to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 17. A very simple verse, but one we would all do well to remember, and it reads like this. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Read it one more time. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. The word glory in this verse, as well as in many, many other verses in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings, the word glory has with it the idea and the meaning of boasting. He that boasteth, let him boast in the Lord. So tonight I want you to think with me for a few moments on the matter of the believer's boasting. The believer's boasting. And we have a lot that we can boast of. The depth of a man's character, I think you will discover, is often revealed by that of which the man boasts. The depth of a man's character is revealed often by that, that, he, that of which he boasts. As well, we could add this, that the level of a man, a believer's maturity is gauged by his boasting. If you want to know how far and how deep a child of God has gone with the Lord, just hang around him for a while and listen to what he glories in or what he may be boasting of. Today out in the world, the majority of boasting has to do with material things, with possessions that people have with the pleasures that they, they may be pursuing or may be indulging in. As well, the majority of boasting in our world today is self-centered, but it is a temporary boasting. It seems that men who fail to boast in the Lord are always seeking to find something greater of which to boast. But yet when our boast is in the Lord... I guarantee you, you can't go any higher, you can't go any deeper, you can't find any greater depth of riches than you find in our Lord. And so Paul especially was a boasting believer. He had a lot of things that he could glory in, that he could boast in. Now, I'll not deal with all of the passages, but I do want to at least remind you of five instances where Paul speaks of his own boasting and of his own glory. In the first place, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 5, and read beginning at verse number 3. Romans, chapter 5, and verse number 3. The verses read... In, these, uh, in this passage, in this manner. And Paul says, And not only so, but we glory, the word is, we boast. 
in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Now, most of us are familiar with the first instance of Paul's boasting in this passage. For often you hear believers quote, Tribulation worketh patience. A great old servant of God had a young missionary, a young missionary applicant to come for an interview. And in that interview, the young missionary kept saying, uh, to the to the to the uh, director of the mission, he said, "You know, I just need patience. I need patience." And uh, over and again, he'd make that statement. And finally, after the young missionary applicant said, "For another time, uh, I just need patience." The old servant of God just dropped to his knees and began to pray and said, "Oh Lord, uh, make things hard for this young man." Lord, let him lose most of the money he's got stored up in the bank. Lord, make him sick if that be necessary. And after a few requests like that, the young missionary said, Oh, no, no, preacher, I don't, don't pray like that. Don't pray like that. And the old missionary director said, Well, you said you wanted patience, didn't you? And the Bible said, Tribulation worketh patience. And yet again, the truth is, tribulation does bring about patience in one's life. Now the word translated tribulation here is the word flippus. And the word flippus literally means pressure. Pressure. Pressure pressure, uh, worketh the patience. That is, the pressure that comes through circumstances in life and all of us feel certain kinds of pressure it may be the pressure of sorrow that we go through that yet God is designed for his child that through that pressure of circumstances or through the pressure of sorrows perhaps persecution maybe the pressure of unpopularity the the uh, uh, the, the lack of being liked by those that you want to like you. Uh, Maybe it is the pressure that comes through loneliness or through sickness. But Paul here tells us that it is this kind of pressure that brings about patience in our life. The word patience, as I looked at this passage this afternoon, I discover that most cases the word patience indicates Patient endurance under trial. But the word from which this word patience comes also is translated fortitude, which means courage. That is, it means the spirit of a person, the attitude of a person that does not simply passively endure the hard times in life, but rather... In the tribulation of life, he actively overcomes those problems that have come his way. So Paul is saying in essence and in truth 
that tribulation, that is trouble. Pressure brings about fortitude in our life. Beethoven, the great musician and composer, when he learned that he was soon to go deaf, deafness for a musician is a very difficult thing to face, I'm sure. But when they told Beethoven uh, that he was, uh, would soon be deaf, he simply replied and said, I will then take life by the throat. Now this kind of fella has that fortitude, the courage, that when tribulation, circumstances fell in upon him, he was not going to lay down and just let the trouble run over him at all. Someone said to a man who was undergoing a great sorrow in his life, and they said to him, you know, sorrow has a way of coloring life, one's life, doesn't it? And the man said, yes, and I propose to choose the color. That is, I choose how I'm going to react to this very thing of sorrow that seems to be coloring my life, as you would say. So, this spirit of courage, of fortitude, of patience, of endurance has with it the idea that the person who has it does not lay down and let the waters of sorrow and trouble and trial just roll over him, but rather he stands up, he faces it, and by the grace and the help of God, he overcomes that that may have otherwise drowned him and took away his usefulness. Now Paul also says that this patience produces, brings about experience. I found the word experience not just something that we experience as such, but the word actually implies character. Character. So Paul is saying that this patience, this fortitude, indeed has a way of, of developing a person's character. Indeed, how we need strong character in these very present evil days. The word is used of metal that has been put through the furnace. It is a word that's often used in relation to coinage or coins. The word sterling comes from this word. You hear people often say, boy, I tell you, that fellow is of sterling character. Well, how did, you, how, how did he become sterling in his character? By going through the furnace and the fire, that's how. And the Lord is determined, as Paul is talking about here, on to maturity, is saying. And the tribulation that comes works patience. And the patience brings about experience or has a way of developing character. No person will have a sterling nor strong character who hasn't gone through some tough times in life. He'll be nothing but a jellyfish. If he's had nothing to challenge him, he will not be able to stand against the pressures that may come upon him in the days that, that lie before him. So when affliction is met with fortitude 
out of that very battle comes a man stronger, purer, and indeed nearer to God if he's a child of God. It'll bring him close to him. Now, the experience or the character, Paul says, goes on to produce and, and brings about hope. Now, the word hope in the Bible is not a word with a question mark. But it is a word of definiteness. It is a word of certainty. It is a word of assurance. We have this hope. Uh, the Bible talks about the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the hope that Paul talks about here is a hope that is given to us according to verse 5 that is given to us out of the love of God that shed abroad in our hearts by the very Holy Ghost who is given unto us. Now, a fellow with hope, two men, take for example, two men may, be, may meet the same situation in life. One may be driven to despair as a result of that situation whereas the other is spurred on to a more triumphant kind of life. It depends on what kind of fiber and what kind of character God has been able to develop in you. I know some who profess to be Christian, the least little thing goes wrong and they're ready to throw in the towel. They're ready just to float down the stream, you know, the, the, the uh, way of least resistance. But here Paul could say, I'm glorying in tribulation. Why? Because he knew and had realized in his own life what tribulation had done for him. The Lord Jesus indeed promised us that we would in this life experience tribulation. And the Lord's not going to let you nor me get through this life as his child without facing some kind of a difficulty that will develop our character in what God can be honored by and be blessed by. Now, won't you look at another fact that Paul talks about over in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Look in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. And look in at beginning at verse number 7. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse number 7. This is a familiar passage. And Paul writes and he says this. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to buffet me lest. I should be exalted above measure. I believe of all the things Paul feared the most, he feared pride of heart. And yet I do not know anything that will bring a believer down any quicker than the arrogance, the pride of our heart. I've said it to you before, but let me make the contrast between humility, which is the opposite of pride, Humility is one who bows in utter and absolute dependence upon God for everything. It is submission of will. Pride, on the other hand, is a self-reliant kind of attitude. 
It is a refusal to bow to the will of God, to the purpose of God, to the sovereignty of God in one's life. Humility then says, thy will be done. Pride says, my will be done. And so pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit comes before a fall. Paul was fearful of pride. He continues at verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So Paul here glories and boasts in the fact of his infirmities. Then the word infirmity means feebleness. It means frailty. It means as well disease or sickness, or weakness. Can you imagine a fellow saying, I glory, I boast in my infirmities? You see, there was far more important things to Paul than the well-being of his physical state in life. Certainly, we all desire good health. But Paul realized that now though this infirmity was upon him, and that God would not remove it, he would just, instead of sitting down and complaining and grumbling and groveling, he simply said, I will glory in my infirmities. Why, Paul? Simply because when he said, I am weak, he's strong. Uh, when he, I am unable, he is able. When uh, I am shaky in life, he is steady and stable. So Paul would say, I glory in my infirmities. For it has brought the reality of the strength of our Lord Jesus in my own life. It brought about in Paul's life, this infirmity, brought about an utter dependence upon the strength and the help of the Lord God in his life. Then it's sad that the Lord sometimes has to knock the props out from under us to get us to really depend on Him. Isn't it sad, a sad commentary that we are so haughty in life and so self-sufficient that the Lord has to let infirmity come, even if it be a messenger of Satan, to buffet us to yet bring us to our knees and bring us to a place of utter and absolute dependence upon God. Say, let me ask you this. Do you pray more when adversity is again uh, uh, in your midst or trial is there or problems there? Do you find yourself praying more? <laughs> I tell you the truth, I confess I do. And yet when things are just going long and nothing wrong with us, uh, we just absolutely sometimes forget about God. We forget about depending on Him and realizing, even as I said this morning in the message, even the smallest thing 
that we face in life, we need God and we need His power. Israel made the terrible mistake when they faced that little nation of Ai of thinking, well, it's just such a small thing. Oh, no trouble God in prayer. No need to ask for His wisdom. No need to bother with picking up the Ark of the Covenant and carrying that along as we did encircling the city of Jericho. And because of that failure, they were solidly whipped and defeated, and so will you and I be. Paul gloried in his infirmity. He boasted, that's the word, in his infirmity. Not only that, but look in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. Galatians 6 and verse 14. Paul here has another boast. And he says, chapter 6, verse 14. But God forbid, perish the thought, he says, that I should, here's our word, that I should glory, that I should boast, save that is only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Now Paul realized the glory of the cross. It did a twofold thing in his life. It cut the world off from him, and it cut him off from the world. A cross. You remember when you were in school, you had an exam, a test, you got your paper back. Those things that were wrong as far as your answer was concerned, the teacher put a big X mark by it, crossed it out. Paul said that's exactly what the cross of Jesus Christ, where I've taken my stand, has done to me in the world. It's crossed out the world. The world holds no, holds no allurement to me, he said. I have taken my place and my position beneath the cross of Christ. And as a result, the world will have nothing to do with me. And listen, the closer you live to Christ and the more you live under the shadow of the cross, the less this world will think of you and have to do with you. Then he said, I'm crucified to the world. It is by reason of the death of Jesus on the cross, as Paul reveals in his letter to the Romans, that he was there crucified as well. And so as every believer, we, we were crucified with Christ. And Paul said it himself, I am crucified with Christ. Literally, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You say, when, when was I crucified? 2,000 years ago. Your old man was nailed to the cross. And the Lord would have us to reckon it so, according to Romans chapter 6. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Likewise, as Christ died on the cross and was crucified, so we hung there with him. And even as he rose from the dead, we have been given resurrected life, which spells absolute victory as we draw on the strength of the resurrected one. 
again then, Paul said, God forbid that I glory, that I boast in anything else, save the cross of our Lord Jesus. And so you think of the, you think of the old Pharisee in Luke's account. When the Pharisee got up boasting, and he boasted of all the things that he had done and things that he did not do. I thank you. I, I, I'm, I glory in the fact that I'm not an adulterer. He said, I'm not, a, I, I, I'm not a, a thief. I'm not unjust. I, not only that, I give 10% of my possessions. I do all of these things, and yet he was boasting in his own good life. Paul said, I glory only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verse 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. And here Paul has another thing of which he boasts. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 4. So he writes to the Thessalonian believers and says, So that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith and all your persecution and tribulation that you endure. Paul said, I glory in you. Now, I don't know exactly what old Paul may have meant by that, but I know what I mean by that. I glory in you who are members of this church. I glory and boast of the life you live, the decency, the purity of your lives, your testimony. And that's a, that's a boast to me as your pastor. I'm glad I can say to people, we, I have a loving congregation. I have people who, who care for one another. And who, in the case of many, are faithful and they stand by the church and, and do their part in, in, in helping it to be a, a lighthouse for Jesus Christ. I boast in that fact. And Paul said, I boast in you. And then I want you to look at one other. In 1 Corinthians, back to chapter 1. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. Looking at verse 30. And verse 31, and he says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Well, let me read verse 29 and give the, give the idea. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Little wonder then that Paul could boast and glory. He gloried in the Lord Jesus because he was his wisdom. He was his righteousness. That is, it was in Jesus Christ that Paul had a right standing before a heavenly father. And I can boast in that, can't you? I glory in the fact that Jesus Christ has been made unto me righteousness. 
the very righteousness that a holy God has demanded that must be seen if I am to be accepted of him. Jesus, in him I boast, for he is my righteousness. Not only that, but he has made unto us sanctification. That implies purity, holiness. Even so, we have no holiness of our own. But he is our holiness. We stand in the presence of a holy God. And that holy God sees us as a holy people, a holy, a, a holy family, a holy nation by reason of the holiness that is in Jesus Christ. And then he says, he's made unto us redemption. No wonder Paul could boast and glory in Christ, in the Lord, for he was redeemed by the Son of God. The story is old, but I think it bears the point. The story is told in the days of slavery. There was a slave auction to occur in a certain little town. The knowledge of a man there who was a very cruel and wicked and sinful man who was very immoral and treated especially the girl slaves in a very uh, immoral manner. And the news would get around, and it got around to this band of slaves that were to be auctioned. And a young, very beautiful girl stood on the auction block. And there the auctioneer begun to ask for bids for this beautiful young girl. And the old wicked man of the crowd seeing an advance, seeing an opportunity to satisfy his own carnal lust made a bid. It was a high bid. And the young girl's heart fluttered with fear, thinking that she would become the possession of this very wicked man. But then out of the crowd another voice, a tender voice, but yet a firm voice was heard and a bid was made for the young girl that was higher than the bid of the wicked man. Back and forth the bidding went until finally the wicked man just gave up in utter disgust. And the young girl was sold to the very kind Christian gentleman. As she walked down, she said in the broken English that she, uh, that she knew, uh, she said to this fine Christian man, she said to him, I know, sir, you have all of the slaves you need. Why did you buy me? Why did you pay such a price for me? And the Christian man, gentleman, looked at her and said, I did not buy you to own you, but I bought you to set you free. Done for us. He buys us and sets us free. And he that the Son makes free shall be free indeed. And Paul tells us again in the epistles that we have been redeemed, that is set free on the basis of a ransom. A price has been paid for your freedom from hell and from the judgment and from the slavery of sin and self. That price was the price our Lord paid on the cross. Little wonder then Paul would say, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You ought to brag on Jesus this week, folks. Where we'll go, we ought to brag on him. 
we ought to boast of him. No, not boasting of any goodness that we have because we don't have any. But we boast of his goodness, of his righteousness, of his holiness, of his purity. Why not glory in the Lord Jesus? Realizing that it is only by that that he's done for us that we can be called the children of God. I'm a boasting believer, aren't you? I glory in the fact of even the trials that have come in life. It's made a more solid character out of my own life. I though often find it difficult. I, I want to glory in my infirmity. Instead of complaining, my wife can tell you more about that area than anybody else. And yet I, I don't want to, I don't want to complain about infirmity. But like Paul to be able to say, as I grow and mature in him, oh, that I'll be able to say, I'd rather glory in my infirmity. Because when I'm weak, I find him strong. When uh, I'm unable, I find he is able. When I am weak, I find him the strong one. To glory in him and infirmity, the cross, to glory, yes, in others. And I'm glad I can glory in you. And I trust that none of us would ever be the kind of person that others around us couldn't say, you know, I know that person. I know that woman. I know that young lady. I know that young man. To glory in that fact. You know, sometimes because of the conduct of people, we're a little embarrassed to sometimes say, yeah, yeah I, know, I know them. Oh, that we'd be able to boast and say, yes, I know him. I know him. Let's stand together to pray.